inspired by the Canadian Federation of the Blind. Outlook, a show about accessibility, advocacy, and equality. I'm Brian. And I'm Carrie. Outlook. Radio Western. Good morning. You're listening to Outlook on 94.9 Radio Western. And uh, December is um, the month that um, every year we celebrate International Day for Persons with Disabilities, which is on December 3rd. And so um, we have some interesting guests this month, like we have been having, and another one today, right, Brian? Yeah, it's been great lately. We're having so many guests, and um, again, we're we're together in the same room as we like to inform our listeners. We're still staying stay- safe and recording from home, but uh, occasionally Carrie comes to visit, and it's kind of nice to just be right in the same space for uh, for this episode. So yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And Carrie, perhaps you want to introduce our guest that you've lined up for today. Yeah, so we go back and forth, her and I, about how we met and all that, which I'll, we can maybe get into. But uh, yeah, we want to welcome Judy Robinette to Outlook. Hi, Judy. Hello. How are you? Great. Thanks for being on Outlook. Well, I'm glad to be here. Thank you. I'm honored that you would even consider our story. No, it's great. Um, I guess I'll just maybe explain it quick and then I'll let you tell you um, your sort of backstory. But um, 10 years ago, I moved to Windsor briefly and uh, I wanted to try and meet some people there and find some people, uh, maybe make some connections. Uh, And I don't know, again, how I found you, but uh, you've been doing a lot of good work for many years. So I'm sure I just came across you somewhere. And uh, so we met there once for lunch and um we both agree that we don't really remember that clearly but we know we had a good talk right yes we did right um so yeah i didn't end up living in windsor but uh i i came across your website again recently and i thought you'd be great to talk to about all this stuff that we talk about on outlook um but maybe tell us a bit about you like start um where you grew up and what sort of your childhood was like I grew up in um, uh, outside of Windsor, Ontario, on a farm. I enjoyed it very much, loved horses, uh, very athletic, and um, went to high school at Essex District uh, High School, which is a little small town. So I'm accustomed to small town life. Uh, I enjoyed working with animals. Um, People would bring me animals that were sick or hurt or shot, and I would take care of them and uh, guide them into some kind of recovery and hopefully uh, full health again. Hmm. Growing up in a farm, sort of... Sort of, we yeah. know that sort of general life. Yeah, we both life. grew up kind of in the in the country there, not on a farm ourselves, but there were farms around for sure. And uh, mm-hmm. used to that, I mean, now now I live in London, Ontario, but I'm um, used to the smaller areas as well. And that sounds like a really yeah. nice. I loved working on a farm. I loved living on a farm. And I think that it helped with my work ethic. But mm-hmm. I will have to say that I do not want to be on a farm now. It's 24-7. Uh, when you're taking care of animals and training them, it was a big job. Um, mm-hmm. And I kind of like the, that I don't have that responsibility now. Sure, yeah. 
So um, when did blindness or disability sort of first affect your life that you recall? Well, you know, if I look back uh, at some of my philosophy developing, um, my sister read to me the story of Beauty and the Beast. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was my first indication that someone who is not as attractive, uh, who was a beast, can really be a prince inside, that there is goodness inside, and uh, how uh, it affects the beast, how people treated him, Mm -hmm. and how uh, beauty came to bring out the best in him. And then... um, I think my second in influence of disability was when I watched The Miracle Worker. Mm-hmm. Um, I wasn't as impressed with Helen Keller as I was with Ann Sullivan. I was just so taken back that she, who too were, was legally blind, was an orphan, had a hard life, yeah. um, how she found the key to unlock the world. Uh, for Helen Keller. And I think it was at that time that I decided that I would try and make that difference in somebody's life. And so in high school, I met uh, Kathleen, and Kathleen was the first seriously legally blind person that I actually met and went to school with and worked with. And uh, I would ride my horse over to her place uh, and give her a ride on my horse on on the weekends, and uh, I formed a wonderful friendship with her, and I'm really glad I did, um, because when I was 15, I was involved in a serious car accident that uh, took part of my sight. Actually, I became blind for periods after that because of the swelling of the brain on the optic chasm. And I had broken my back and my legs and my jaw, lost my teeth, um, so that when people came to see me, they would vomit, they fainted, they cried. Um, They had taken all the mirrors out of my room. And so all of that in the background of what I grew up with um, made a big difference. And Kathleen wrote me a letter. And... uh, Her writing me was probably the most instrumental uh, step for my recovery because I knew what she went through and she kept going through it and I loved her. And so the Judy I knew was gone. The Judy I knew and loved was gone. But in another way, the new Judy or the revised Judy was there. And uh, it was because of all of these things in my past that made that difference. Right. And you commented on how you, you were interested in, in blindness and disabilities and stuff, even like before the, before the accident and everything, right? So that it wasn't the accident that spurred that on. That was always a, an interest of yours from, from before that. I think it, it certainly shaped my view of the world and my view of people. Right. Um, so reading stories, um, working with animals, um, and uh, have, making friends with someone who was instrumental in my life and was a stepping stone f- towards my recovery, yes. So stories and people make a difference. And yes, it was before that. And that's why I think it's so important for inclusion, because you don't know what you don't know until you get out there and 
meet and work and be with people. Yeah, exactly. And that obviously shaped a lot of what you've done since then. But um, I guess just quickly let us know what um, your educational background was, what you sort of did um, in your career over the years that sort of... Sure. So when I was still in the hospital, Mm -hmm. um, my father was told that I was um, unmarriageable, unproductive, and uneducable. Um, and my father inspired me. Um, he said, uh, know who you are, decide where you'll go, and to choose a life worth living. And the reason he told me that was because I came to him crying, saying there's just too many obstacles, people won't let me places, I can't do things that I used to do, I could no longer ride, mm-hmm. I could no longer um play badminton or sports or javelin or hurdles. Um, I couldn't compete with the fully sighted world anymore. And I just felt my identity as an athlete was out the window. But um, his words uh, encouraged me to go on. And I did meet a wonderful um, man, Donald, my husband. Uh, We've been married 50 years now. Congratulations. And yeah. uh, Congrats. we were we grew up together. That's what I tell people. We grew up together. Mm-hmm. And um, he encouraged me. Um, he saw how good I was with people. So he paid for my early childhood education. I went on to get my Bachelor of Arts. I got a master's in the special education of the blind and the blind deaf, multi-handicapped, and orientation and mobility. So I did go on to get that education, but um, what was more uh, important to me was not the academic education, but what I learned from families. I wrote a book called A Life Worth Living about parenting um, infants and uh, preschoolers with visual impairment and multidisability. I just didn't want their stories, their strategies, the things they did to fall apart and go nowhere. Um, It takes a lot of energy uh, to uh, become, um, to parent and to hope that you get your children to uh, the next stage. And if you have little strategies, little suggestions, and we all need that. We get strategies and suggestions from everybody for everything we do. Mm -hmm. So, but it's not often that you meet a parent of a child who has a visual impairment or you as a parent has a visual impairment or blindness and you're raising a child. So I put... I gathered those stories and put them together. And then um, I went and I worked for CNIB as a children's worker. And at that time, I worked with children from birth uh, to 21. Uh, So I had a Mm -hmm. wonderful wide range of activities we did. We had bachelor club. I had parents uh, under blindfold and uh, simulating their child's vision loss, whatever that would be, and I would take them out to restaurants and uh, walking and uh, trying to teach them things. I tried to teach them under blindfold how to pack, how to do homework, how to cook, um, as well as I taught their children also how to cook and to pack. Um, 
because I thought it was important for people to understand that we have to be ready uh, to receive uh, the type of com- communication from the person with the disability that they need, and we need to support them uh, properly. And you can't support always if you don't understand where they're coming from and the challenges. Sometimes I would video them and it, study that video, study that video, study that video, so that when I would go back, I would say, here's the step we're missing. Here's what we're missing, and then we would get it. So I love my years at uh, Canadian uh, National Institute for the Blind, but they decided to curtail, in 1994, their children's worker program. Mm. And uh, I decided that... um, I would respond to one of the people who asked me to do something. I have the opportunity now. Um, Before I was let go from CNIB, I met with a young man in hospital who had tried to commit suicide. Um, I asked him why, and he said, I could handle the loss of my vision, the loss of my driver's license, the loss of my girlfriend, the loss of my sports, the loss of my reading, but the kicker, the kicker, I could not handle the loss of my job. How do I live this life? How do others live this life? And his parents wanted to know the same thing. How do I help him? How do I walk an 18-year-old who's now lost his vision across the street? Do Do I take his hand and lead him like a preschooler? But they asked me to make uh, some kind of a multimedia tool that they could look at at 3 o'clock in the morning where they're reading other people's stories or that they could um, use with their friends so that they didn't have to always answer questions. They were tired of answering questions. And so um, I said, of course. I will look into that. I've lost my job. I'll look into that. And we formed the charity, A Life Worth Living. And what year was that? That we formed it in, um, it it was formed in 1994, the year of the family, and it became a charity in 1995. And that's, uh, that's one of those things that back then, I mean, there weren't, I mean, today it's, it's not even always easy today to connect, but at least today we have the internet and all these resources back then. I mean, I don't know what, how easily people could connect with other people that were in that situation. And it seems like such a ahead of its time to, to really get into that at that, at that point in the, in the nineties. Actually, when I met with, um, uh, Bell Canada, Norm Simon, he was vice president of communications. He said, you're 20 years ahead of your time. Mm-hmm. And of course, technology has, that is accessible has been a challenge for me even to this day. Um, Technology is wonderful, but it is also limiting if it is not accessible to people with disabilities. And uh, that's my big issue right now. And that's my big thrust is um, everybody has the right to information, to customer service, to employment Mm -hmm. and Sometimes the technology is avoiding uh, what is available to people with disabilities, and they are also not regarding them, and uh, they don't know what they don't know, and so my hope is that I will help them know what they need to know 
so that users are enjoying the same experience the rest of us are. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's great. It's been going for all these years now then. Um, yeah. And yeah, you got into a lot of this, like you said, with your education and all your work back in the, the time when children with disabilities were becoming more mainstreamed in their in their local schools. Um, so what was that sort of, that? what is it like to be, to, to have seen all that? You know, it, it, it was bittersweet mm-hmm. uh, for me. At times... Opening the drawer and the word at that time was integration mm-hmm. was wonderful. At other times, it seemed like it was just a physical presence. And I think we always have to watch when we think that we've made a move, that we look at the move from the user perspective or the person with disabilities perspective or their family's perspective. It, if we don't, include all of that. It is still a them and us, a Mm -hmm. them and us. And we've got to change that them and us. It's only us. We are together in this. We are a society in this. And there are so many benefits and joys from being us. Don't give me a Band-Aid. I don't want a Band-Aid. I want to be able to enjoy and participate in things that you would enjoy and participate in. No, we're not all brain surgeons, but there is many things in everyday life that people need to be able to know that they can participate in. And um, we would enjoy having them with us. Yeah, and I think that's a really great point that you brought up about the integration where it's one of those things that at, at the time, well, sure, that is, it is an amazing thing. It's, it's easy enough to just put people in schools maybe, but at the same time, if, if it's not followed through and there isn't still being enough done, it's, it's not just a, it doesn't work well if it's just a word or a name given to something. It needs to actually be practiced and, and demonstrating that it's, that it, people actually know what they're doing with this stuff. And um, it makes me think of things such as, which we'll get more into, I'm sure, the accessi- accessibility for Ontario Ontarians with Disabilities Act, where it's, a mouthful, it's hard to say. It's hard to say that. I guess um, some of these names are pretty hard, but yeah, the Accessibility for Ontarians with Disabilities Act. I don't know if I'm even saying that right, um, but it's these 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 things that come about that in in theory they sound so great, but are they really being put to put to the test, and are they really working? And I think that's that's uh, something that people need to look at more. Yeah. Well, you know, Brian, I was at a conference. And um, we were in a breakout session, and the person at the table was saying, everything we, we have today should be in, a, in Braille format for people who use Braille. And because I can read Braille, I said, do you realize how much Braille that would be, how much weight that would be, how much, when we think of a three-day conference in Braille? How would you find everything? Is the person who does the Braille good? I said, it, it would take a dolly to, or a trailer to carry all that Braille. And then if you're in a meeting, how would you know? So you have to look at um, uh, when Braille is useful and when you want to use Braille. And Braille is important. But you just need to ask the user. 
Now, for some people, they would want um, some Braille documents, and they would want some on a USB drive. And they usually would want that a little bit earlier so that they can review some of the agenda, people who are talking, make their selections. All of that could be done earlier. And, of course, we could do it online as well as if the online is accessible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and you have, I love speaking with you, Jude, because you have so many pearls of wisdom that, um, that just sort of fit with what our message here is at Outlook. So that's great. And then, as you're saying, it's kind of the whole, I would like to learn how to fish, teach me how to fish thing. But also at the same time, um, speaking of animals, animals are good with their... Um, being symbiotic with each other and, and the whole, you know, interdependent type thing. Um, Because that's a a debate we have often. What do you think about that? Well, um, I think about um, my, my phrase is um, don't give me a handout, give me a hand up. Mm. That's what I'd like. I'd like people to give um, people with disabilities a hand up. A lot of them would like to have a job, a home, a car. Um, so, and I'm not just talking about people who are blind right. who right. might want one of those um, autonomous cars. But uh, I just, I just think that we, we just can't just lock people with disabilities up into another room and think, okay, we've taken care of you. You're good enough. That's fine enough. We're helping you enough. I just think with AODA, they're, they're talking about identifying the barrier and removing that barrier. But here's a funny story. Let me tell you about a friend of mine who um, uh, is very skilled in uh, technology, very skilled. So Hyger One came to his place and took out his manual thermostat and put in a digital thermostat. But the thermostat doesn't speak. Mm-hmm. It has no indicators. And we're living in technology where it can speak, and they actually have some that speak. And it took months and communication and letters back and forth. Now, remember, Hydro One is the government of Ontario, which is supposed mm-hmm. to identify and remove barriers. <laughs> and it took them numerous correspondences, frustration for them to get him a smart thermostat, which he could work with his phone. Mm. There's the issues. It wasn't a big deal. Yeah. But why don't you ensure that uh, appliances are another thing that we're after, thermostats, wearables, um, and anything to do with the Internet should be accessible. Kiosks. Um, and if it's accessible for, say, someone who's blind, if the sun is glaring on the kiosk and you can't see the print, you could use it um, in another way that's more accessible. Right. You know, everybody needs accessibility. It's not just people with disabilities. Yeah, and that's the big thing that we like to point out. And the the real thing is that... that um having more people with disabilities in the workforce and all of these things, it benefits everyone. It's not one of those things where I think generally people often think like, Oh, it's, it's doesn't in- include me or this and that when really it's a, it's a benefit to society as a whole. And that's why these things need to be yeah. looked into and improved. 
Well, I interviewed Mark Wafer, and you may know that name because he's certainly an advocate of inclusion. Um, he considers himself having 20% hearing, um, where he has 80% hearing loss. And when he was young, he could get jobs. He just couldn't keep them because mm-hmm. no one would adapt. So that when he had a job in a grocery store and uh, the guy said, come clean up in 12, well, of course, he didn't hear that. And so it looked like he wasn't doing his job. But if they had adopted, he could have certainly done many jobs. In the end, he became, um, he he purchased uh, Tim Horton franchises, hired over 150 people with disabilities, and was quite successful and could fund um, his race car driving. And he won 15 races and two championships. So... Uh, even in, in the race car driving, he thought it was uh, motorsports is probably an equal sport for him because it's so loud and it's hard to hear and you need a radio and you mm. use the flags. And um, But he said he still had resistance there to give him an opportunity to get his license or participate in a race. And he had to put deaf, a driver is deaf on the top of his car. But it You know, if people would just open the door like they did to him, you could fulfill your dreams and your pleasures and your work um, life. And so it's so important. Um, And he contributed back. Everybody likes Tim Hortons. Go and get some coffee. Um, He he managed these stores. Um, He's an advocate for people with disabilities. Um, He is a model for parents Mm -hmm. who have children who have hearing loss. Um, He is a model for me um, to persevere, to move forward, um, to make a difference, not only in your own life, but in other people's lives. So um, look at that, eh? It's amazing. Yeah, and it really goes to show, too, that how much it does help for other people that have these disabilities to hear about success stories with with people that also have those disabilities. Because if you don't have those role models and those people that are doing it, you feel like you're totally on your own. And then it just seems super daunting. And it's really hard to uh, approach at that point, I think. So. Yeah, exactly. When I interviewed Stevie Wonder uh, at his Wonderland Studios in California, Stevie told me that, you know, people said, you're blind, you're black, you're poor, you have no future. Look what that man has done. Outside of his music, he is a a civil rights advocate Mm -hmm. across the world. He has been so amazingly um, part of uh, the civil rights movement that people may not even be aware of. No, I don't. I don't but, know if they are. Yeah, because people no. right away they they see the blindness, and that's what maybe jumps right out, or the music maybe, which is great. But again, that's those are the things that not everyone sees, and they they focus on one thing at first, and that's uh. So he made a difference in millions of people's lives all around the world. Billions. Yeah. And I mean, of course, it's, it's important to have a mix of those giant role models um, that become stars with, like we, we say, just having people all over and all around you. So you see that it doesn't 
because a lot of the world looks at Stevie Wonder as oh what a what a wonder that he's blind and in black and and you know he was poor and he he's look how far he's gotten but most people don't yeah. can't get that far so what what does he have that they don't right like it, people look at it the wrong way kind of so if he didn't have his mom if he didn't have Gordy Berry <laughs> from Motown yeah. where right. would Stevie Wonder be so it's, it's if he didn't have people. the Michigan School for the Blind yeah. that uh, helped him with Braille and that's where he learned piano. What You know, it takes a village, I guess, if I'm going to steal a word from somebody else, but it takes people around you to be successful. Yeah. I could never drive a car or turn on a light or without electricians or car builders. Or mm-hmm. um, I'm, I believe in an interdependent society. I depend on the plumbers. I depend on the people who um, give me lights. And I depend on the farmers who give me food. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, we all we all depend on someone, whether we have a disability or or not. Um, exactly. Today on Outlook, we're speaking with Judy Robinette. We're going to take a quick break for some promos, and we will be right back. Welcome back to Outlook. Um, we are speaking today with Judy Robinette and. We were talking about a lot in the first half hour, uh, including Stevie Wonder. Um, let maybe let us know how you found found him, how you got in touch with him. Well, I found Stevie Wonder because his best friend was my teacher at Michigan State um, oh. University. Yes, I was trying to um, learn all the skills to be a good teacher, and. Uh, Boy, it was a difficult thing for me to be a reader, if you can believe it. Um, they didn't want us to um, convey too much emotion. Um, so there I am trying, and I'm a, an emotional, dramatic person, so it was very hard for me to pass that course well when I was doing reading for students at uh, the U- at Michigan State. But uh, we made, we became good friends. His name was J.J. Jackson. And J.J. Uh, Jackson and Stevie Wonder were the best of friends. In fact, um, mm-hmm. Stevie, uh, in between touring after 13, he went to Michigan State. And he didn't want to stay on campus, so he stayed with J.J. Jackson's family. So J.J.'s mom uh-huh. is like his second mom. So that's the closeness there. And Stevie gave me some uh, inspirational stories for my book, A Life Worth Living. And when he heard about um, that we were trying to uh, make a miniseries and a film for A Life Worth Living starring Jeff Healy, uh, he um, wanted to be part of it. And so he helped with the promo video, and uh, he wanted us to be successful in our endeavors. Wow. So what was it, what's he like, and what was your kind of relationship with him over the years? You know, I've met all different celebrities along the way, but there are a few celebrities who are as humble and as kind and as generous as Stevie Wonder and Jeff Healy were. Both of them were unbelievable. Both of them big stars. Um, both of them successful in their world. But uh, they were very humble. It was very nice to talk with him. He has some 
uh, funny stories that he shared. Um, he actually even shared how he became blind or how he knew he became blind. And he said, he said he was sent out into the yard uh, to play. And when he came in the house, um, his mother said, who smells? What smells? And he didn't realize until they told him that he had stepped in the dog's uh, poo. And it was on his shoe, and it was the first time that he recognized that he couldn't see. So, one, he didn't see what poo was, but he could smell it. Um, Everybody Mm -hmm. else could see it and smell it. So that was the first indication to him that he was blind. Yeah. No, I I don't know that much about his life story, actually. I I, I am a fan of his music, but um, yeah, I I don't know if I knew all that. Yeah, I don't know a ton about it. I mean, it's one of those things where I think, for me, that the celebrities are are definitely very inspirational, but I think for me to a point, it's been, it's been more trying to connect with people that are, are kind of more at, I don't, I don't know how to word it best. Like my, my level or something. It's not to say that both don't have their, their benefits, but I just think it is, it would be neat. And I mean, someday it would be our dream to have someone like Stevie wonder on this type of show, because (laughs) it is, it is such a neat thing to, to like what you commented on finding a celebrity that is so humble. And just from the interviews from with with him that I have heard, I can, I can already get that, that energy just, just from those. So, well, you know, that Stevie is very um, in touch with the grassroots people. Um, So I guess that's what I would call you and I, grassroots, down on yeah. the front round. Yeah, for sure, yeah. Uh, he lives a very different life as a person who is blind um, because he has a circle of um, security guards and a president right. and uh, producers and musicians. So he does have a circle of people around him that maybe others do not have. Uh, he... He has a wardrobe person when I was there, and they brought what clothes that he would wear. And so the rest of us have to pick out our own clothes and get it out of the closet. <laughs> right. But yeah, I, I, I can't seem to get anyone from the sal- salon to like, move into my house, just do my hair every yeah. morning. So, <laughs> But, uh, yeah. Yeah, no, it's good to have a good mix, and he does seem like a lovely man, and I'm sure he's helped you out a lot over the years. He's uh, certainly been a... a uh, an inspiration for us and certainly encouraging. Um, I can remember one time uh, he had called me and then he said, um, oh, um, Ray Charles is on the other line. Do you mind if I call you back and speak with Ray? <laughs> like, <laughs> I can't believe it. <laughs> you know, um, so if I, I guess you uh, couldn't be upset about that. Stevie certainly gave me um, thoughts and guidelines as to where a life worth living should be progressing and uh, the mm-hmm. values that we should have and the value in the person, the respect for the person, um, the understanding for the person. And um, rather than people telling um, people what to do to listen to know. Um, Mother Teresa also told me to say, um, uh, listen to their hearts, find out what they need. And Mm -hmm. so we've had um, major people um, who have 
did many wonderful things in the world who have uh, spoken to me and advised me and ensuring that a life worth living doesn't lose that heart uh, for the people. Great, yeah. No, I mean, I, I saw the little video there of Stevie on your on your website, and um, that's great to have name recognition there and pe- a name people know and tr- kind of trust. And yeah, and I guess we should mention the the website is lifeworthliving.ca for mm-hmm. everyone to go and check yeah. it out for sure. It's a great great resource, and I see that you're still still building it up and working on it. Yeah. Um, I know you're l- looking into developing some courses. Yeah. Maybe if you want to talk a little bit about okay, that. Okay, well, I. I kept waiting for the internet to be much more uh, accessible to all people, especially JAWS users. So then uh, David, who is a JAWS user, and I, we said, you know, I can't keep waiting. So let's, let's get this started. So in 2018, August 2018, we started. My site still isn't launched. It's live. It's not launched. I have all of my material. I have footage of Stevie Wonder and Jeff Ely and Bill McDermott. Mm -hmm. I have um, many important things to put on our site. But I can't pass an accessibility audit. And um, I got referred to uh, CMS Solutions um, by David and um, we're going to have to refresh the site because it's not accessible. Every time they try to do something, it breaks the site. In fact, the site could crash if they do any more. So we're going to keep it live as is, and we're going to add some things, and we're going to go. But um, we are having it refreshed, and there's where um, our challenge is. And actually, we, were, uh, we had a conference call this morning, uh, between a life worth living and David Best, which is business educational technology, and uh, and C- CMS solutions, and we are going to build training courses for IT designers and developers to start from the bottom up to build an accessible, truly user friendly website. And that's our oh. goal. And that'll be out in 2021. Just mark my words. We are so excited. Why? Because um, I can't find anybody. They keep saying that they're, oh, yeah, we do that. Yes, we cover that. It is not. It is not. Their sites are not accessible. They don't understand. It's like an accountant and data entry. They're two different things. An accountant knows how to enter that data. We need IT developers and designers who know how to em- and, uh, enter that data so that it is user-friendly with a keyboard, with a rollerball, with a Zoom tax, mm-hmm. with everything. I, it, 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 it's beyond me that this, the educational resources that are out there are not aware that they are not teaching or designing for users. Yeah, that's so yeah. important, especially when you talk about from from the ground up, because it and like you demonstrate with your site, where these it, it's so much easier in the end if it's done from the get go, because it's gonna it needs to be done eventually to make everything inclusive. Yeah. And if it's not done from the beginning, then it's kind of the site's there and it's not accessible, and then you kind of have to start all over again. So yeah. it's uh, it's definitely something that it's it needs to change. And um, so yeah, uh, so let me give you some figures. 
I built my site for $15,000. They were supposed to allow David to sandbox development, but they decided, no, we'll do this. We'll just ask David questions. So in the end, they sent me that they have worked over uh, $30,000 over 30, more dollars worth of hours to make it accessible. That's because they didn't make it accessible from day one. They My, my site wasn't a refresh. It was a, a, a build from scratch. Yeah. And then okay. I spent $5,000 in accessibility audits where I failed. Uh-huh. And then um, I'm with CMS Solutions, and now I have to pay to refresh my site. Now, if I had gone with CMS Solutions from the beginning, which I didn't know about them, um, if I had my site built accessible from the beginning, it would have been less than $15,000. How do you like that? So yeah. I, all of this money Crazy. extra, um, it's like, you know, you built a, 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 a building and now you're trying to renovate it and change it. Or you made a dress mm-hmm. and it's the wrong size and now you're trying to alter it. Our goal and with CMS Solutions, if people would build their sites from the beginning and re- refresh what they've got or from the beginning, accessible. With, and these people don't even think it's like that's something you should be adding on. It is accessible. You build an accessible website. That's what AODA is saying. That's what the global yeah. accessibility um Rules and regulations are saying that's what the global world is expecting. And if you started there, you wouldn't spend that money. You wouldn't spend all that money. It's just been so frustrating. So I'm a test case. I, who want a site and demanded an accessible site from the start, didn't get it. Mm. Why? Because they don't know what they don't know. That's They just don't know. Sorry, that's my little stool that I stand on and pump. (laughs) Yeah, no, it's so hard sometimes to to want more progress in these things. And that's why I think, you know, International Day for Persons with Disabilities is important because the United Nations recognizes this um, is a global thing, which it is. And of course, like you said, Canada signed on to the United Nations. Yeah, see, Canada, we're 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 working yeah. on it here, and they signed but, um, up. But yeah. yeah, but that's what we. Great. But we need yeah, all of us. We've got to make that difference, and and so I have been advocating since two thousand nine. I said I I will continue to advocate, but I I now want to offer a solution to small and medium businesses to get yeah. this done, yeah. and you know people say, well, it's for that them. Guess what? We're an aging population. I'm doing this for you. I'm doing this for me. Because if Mm -hmm. I continue to lose vision, I want to be able to use my computer. I don't want to be limited only to sites that are accessible because they're too few. Mm -hmm. It's for everybody. Yeah, and that's the the thing you that you really demonstrate is is not I, I mean, I think it's it's well known that oftentimes people are just living in the moment and they're not looking ahead to the future. And really, we have to be prepared for this stuff because, you know, it's it's something that it's going to affect everyone in in the in the years to come. And uh, if we don't get on it beforehand, I mean, you're not you know you're not waiting until you have no vision to to start getting into this stuff. You're doing it beforehand. And 
I know sometimes it's hard for people to do that because they're busy with other things in their lives. But, you know, it's just so, so amazing to have people out there like you that are are doing this stuff uh, from from the beginning. And Well, I just appreciate everyone who wants to advance that that inclusion, um, whatever case. But yes. It's it's important. It's and you know it shouldn't be just a few individuals. It should be society. Society should be yeah, wanting absolutely. that change. That's what I hope to to influence um, society and and to have mm-hmm. them take a new look. Um, I know people who before they became disabled would say, "Oh yeah, I'm so accepting of disabilities." La 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 la. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Until it happened mm-hmm. to them, and they're devastated. And the devastation is understandable. What the thing is, is that they did not realize that the steps we take every day may uh, affect our lives, the lives of someone we love, or this stranger we don't even know, but it all makes for a better society. And so it's not just accepting and them out there it's us and i guess that's what i try to do with a life worth living it's us Hmm. yeah us yeah i mean let's talk about the name a life worth living it sort of touches a nerve with me but in a good way an effective way um for me it does someone who's lived with disability all my life so in many ways i'm used to it but at the same time i've had changes in my vision you know, recent years that make me feel like I'm losing like anyone else would. And I'm struggling with that. And um, yeah, a life worth living. It's difficult when you hear that the world is so afraid of blindness, specifically blindness, um, that they're more afraid of that than cancer, right? It's like what, what you are, because blindness isn't all I am, but it's intertwined with who I am. What I, what I am and what I live every day is so, such a fear for people that that's painful for me. And like you mentioned, losing your sight, maybe as a teenager, for example, it can throw you really off course. And young people these days, and always up probably, but deal with mental health and, you know, students and and in the workforce and in relationships and uh, a life worth living. It really does, like you said, your message is that you can have that after disability. Um, But what kind of reaction have you gotten about well, I have two, sort of that? Two, two factors for a life worth living. You could look at it as your life is worth living, mm-hmm. or you can live a life worth living, and both of those are true. And um, it it has touched a lot of people because it gives us a basis from which to talk from. And sometimes some people say, I don't want to live this life. And then mm-hmm. when they hear the stories, of people who have been successful. And I told them, so many have not been. But there, you have to mm-hmm. learn from the stories of people who are successful. And what was it that helped them to get to the next step? And how do you move forward through that? Um, you're going to live your life. Which way do you want to live it? And what can we do to help? And how can you self-determine yourself um, to move it forward. I think there's both of those areas in there to consider. But um, mm-hmm. the the term of life worth living is very popular. If you ever go on the internet, there must be about 7,000 references to a yeah. life worth living. Um, there's only one, a life worth living.ca, which is us. But uh, of course. Uh, 
And I think that's what drew people in to our, um, our storyline. But again, um, I didn't come up with the line. It was my father who tried to encourage me when I was going to give up. And he said, know who you are, decide where you'll go and choose a life worth living. You will always face obstacles, but it's your choice. What kind of life are you going to live? I give him, I thank him. And this is when people had told my dad, you know, she's unproductive, unmarriageable, un- mm. uneducable. You know, um, when he, I can remember when he took me to school, I had a body wrap, I had a leg cast, I had my, my teeth were broken, I had a wire in my jaw, I had a patch over my eye, and I was in crutches, and he just dropped me off at the school and said, she wants to be a teacher. She has to come here. <laughs> and he <laughs> left. Um, you know, I give him credit. But I had some good teachers in there who were um, uh, inspirational for me, who cared. Um, but also, um, it was early in those days uh, when people just um, gave you a little bit and you took what you got and you moved forward. And uh, they were not as skilled, maybe, as some today, but they certainly brought me to where I am. And uh, I did, as I say, continue with my education. Um, I continued with my career. And I continued with the love that I had as a young child um, to work with people with uh, blindness and disabilities, such as Ann Sullivan. And just to share stories, like you've said, that's what we like to do, too, um, here on Outlook. And I, I do that as a writer. Um, and you talk a lot about multimedia. And so why do you think that's an important component? I think multimedia is important because, one, um, even though we're talking about visual pyramid and blindness, one is the majority of the world learns by vision whether it's watching your parents do things, watching how they eat, how they walk, how they play with the ball. Um, multimedia is important because you uh, not everyone is an auditory learner. Others are visual learners. Others are um, interactive learners. Um, so if you can use the right format to reach the most people and yet make it still accessible uh, to all, I think it's very important uh, for us to do that. There are some things that um, multimedia can do quicker than using words uh, mm-hmm. because it's just faster. Yeah. yeah, and like I'd like to talk about all the time, people, I mean, people... Sometimes there's too many options in the world, but it's it's just it's nice to have options. And with, when you have a disability, you often are sort of feeling like, well, I'd, either you know you can't get something, or or you you can get something, but you don't have much choice in the matter. Like you said, somebody's doing it for you. Um, you know, you're being helped, and yeah. So I guess um, I like everything you say on your website, really, you know, you and I have talked a few times now and everything seems to sort of match. Um, but um, yeah, multimedia reaches so many people that way and gives people options. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, you know, multimedia can go on a phone and multimedia mm-hmm. includes text, animation, graphics, um, video um, in different lengths. 
Um, I'm finding more and more um, we're less prone to watch something very long. Actually, five minutes is long. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I did, uh, Brian, you might laugh. Um, I did uh, an experience. Um, I, I did an animation. It's called Bebop's Bad Day. And what I did was I am, have an animation of a robot, and he's going out in the community, and every experience he has is true. It's a story, but I couldn't put a person through it because uh, he gets hurt all the way along. <laughs> Um, garbage, uh, truck out in the, uh, tailgate down in the sidewalk, a tree branch overhead. He, in the end, he falls down a man- manhole. All of those are true stories. <laughs> All of those happened. Um, right. but yeah. it, it just makes it so much quicker and so much more engaging. But when I first showed it to about 500 people, uh, at the Capitol, um, I had the lights off, every light off, and only the sound running. People, it's right. three minutes, Brian. People found that too long. Three yeah. minutes. Yeah. Now, think of about a child in a classroom who's blind. How many three minutes do they have on top of each mm. other? It's a lot of three minutes of not knowing what's going on, but hearing sounds. So it just... Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that's a great great sort of thing to put people to. It, I often think that. Like, people love podcasts now, so they must be okay with the listening. But yeah. uh, but normally, yeah, people are, are listening to podcasts while they're out running or, you know, going for a walk, doing dishes. It's, people, it's not... It's, it's hard to get someone's attention, and, and, and that's why... Yeah. You know, maybe even if you, even if you're someone who's blind, and and that's something I got to think about more for promoting things. Is for me, photos. I'm just like oh, I don't want to deal with them, but you you kind of have to in a, in a way because you wanna you wanna reach as many people as possible, and you are you aren't really being inclusive in a way if you don't have like all this multimedia involved because it's you're just you're more so just not allowing yourself the audience you might have because of your. You're limiting exactly, that, so. Brian. You just brought up a point that David and I talked about. We're doing um, an accessible digital communication course. It's seven modules, and um, he talks about digital communication. It is um, a presentation more than an interactive course, and um, so we were talking in the slides and the different things and. To be inclusive of people who are sighted was an experience for him. And we had to teach him. I said, David, people will not follow this. Yes, you have to say what's on the slide. Yes. And we filmed it. And we filmed him reading his Braille. We have um, uh, we had an audio describer ensure that it didn't need any more audio description because he said what was coming up and what was there. We did have a narrator. But... It just was, um, when we're talking inclusion, that's us. We want to be included who are visual learners um, to be able to see visually as well as we hear. But I agree with podcasts. But podcasts are just one of the media. When they mm-hmm. listen to yeah. a podcast, they actually have a visual picture behind in their mind. Right, a lot of yeah. these. Yeah, and, and then a lot of places, you know, they... They are putting up videos, like video podcasts as well, sometimes just to switch it up. And it's all about keeping that audience and expanding it. And It, it is. It is. Because like we were saying, oh, should we take some clips of Jeff Healy um, 
Um, for example, Jeff Healy said, because you work with blind people doesn't mean you can work with every blind person. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, I thought, boy, we could talk about that. You know, uh, we could do a podcast. Do we include the semi-video of him? Do we just include it as an audio? I'll have to look to you guys mm-hmm. for maybe some information. What should I do? Um, because we're hoping to go into podcasts. Now that I'm going to get an accessible site, <laughs> we're going to move into right. all these areas. But it's just so hard because, you know, we do with our podcast and stuff, we're not totally accessible. And that gets to me. It's it's. There's a lot to think about and like, you know, for, we don't write transcripts. It's just hit me and Brian here and we, we haven't been writing transcripts, um, other things. So it's hard to, in your site, yeah, it is impressive. It is because you're not just giving accessibility for blind people, but every disability really out there. Exactly. So that can exactly. be difficult. Exactly. And I think it's important that people with disabilities understand there's other people with disabilities. And as yeah, as sure. you are asking people to accept you, you need to accept and understand people with other disabilities. Yeah. I And that's my, that's why I um, want to have many disabilities. My focus, my love, of course, is over visual impairment and blindness because of my own situation. Um, mm-hmm. But on on the other hand, it's important to know about other disabilities and to care and to co-advocate with all people. And that's why I, I'm so strong on disability inclusion, not just blindness, not just visual impairment. I think it's important yeah. that we all are supportive of one another. Yeah. Absolutely. It's 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 all about that. And all all disabilities, obviously, this show, too, is focused on visual impairment and blindness because Carrie and I both experience that. But we we are t- trying harder to, to cover all disabilities. And uh, I just yeah. wanted to say again, thank you so much, Judy, for coming on the show today. We're pretty much out of time, but um, hour flies by with talking to Judy. Thank you. Yeah, it really does. So go check out her website, a life worth living dot ca. And Thanks again, Judy, for coming on Outlook Thank you, Carrie and Brian. It's been a pleasure. Find us on Twitter at OutlookCFB and on Facebook, facebook.com slash Outlook on Radio Western.